from Queen and Zynga on WBAI, Law of the Land. We go from Queen and Zynga in my visit to Angola, Luanda, Angola. We then moved on in my quest to find out more to bring back to you. We moved on to the Slavery Museum. Yes, so you haven't seen me, and I say once again, good morning, good morning. This is Gloria Brown Marshall on Law of the Land. You haven't seen me because I was in Luanda, Angola. You were there with me via the radio to meet Vladimiro Fatuno, director of the Slavery Museum, and all the different places that I travel, I try to take you along. And so I'm working on a docuseries, as I've mentioned before, I went and mentioned earlier, a docuseries based on my book, She Took Justice, The Black Woman, Law and Power. It begins, my book does, She Took Justice with Queen Nzinga, who was a warrior queen, a warrior queen who in 1622 negotiated a peace treaty with the Portuguese governor, um, of course, we know they betrayed it because I'm talking to you all the way over here. <laughs> so that gives you some idea of what happened with that peace treaty and what happened when Queen Nzinga, also known to some as Njinga or Anna de Sousa, when she faced the traitors, she decided using guerrilla warfare to do battle and she battled them until her last breath at age 80. They never caught her. I don't like to use the word capture. You capture criminals. You capture fugitives. You capture animals. Africans were kidnapped from Africa, kidnapped and put on these ships and spread around the world, which is what we call the African diaspora. All these different people around the world, the first generations, though, many of whom came from Angola, those 20 and odd Africans in 1619 who arrived in Virginia were from Angola. We even have an Angola, New York, in upstate New York, a small town named Angola, New York. And of course, we have the Angola prison in Louisiana that was named for and sits in the same spot as the plantation named Angola. So when I came back, I was healthy as all get out. I was feeling good. It was a wonderful trip. I felt so blessed. And I sat next to um, someone who decided to not wear a mask and to cough and sneeze into the air, never covering his mouth, and um, gave me some kind of sinus infection. And that's why I've been out for a little while. As you can hear, I'm still a little nasal, but I am getting better. And may that son of a gun rest somewhere where the sun doesn't shine. Anyway, so let's move on. After I returned, I then went to Montgomery, Alabama, because even though I wasn't contagious, I went and got antibiotics and did all kind of healthy stuff for all of you out there. Yes, I did all the healthy stuff too. But uh Trying to get rid of this has been no joke. But even though I wasn't contagious, I didn't feel 100%. I went down to Montgomery, Alabama. Why is this important? It's important because I had already planned to be there for a conference, speaking there. But it was also important because I had a chance to go to the brainchild of this genius, Brian Stevenson and see what the Equal Justice Initiative, his organization founded in 1989, 501c3 private nonprofit organization, what he was able to develop. There they have the Legacy Museum from enslavement to mass incarceration. It's huge. This museum is huge. It's, the, it's technologically advanced. I mean, at one point I had an enslaved person from the slave pens and I saw the slave pens in Angola that the European Portuguese had where they kept the human beings who would then be placed in the slave ships and shipped around the world because God said they had original sin they had to work off. Sounds a lot like Auschwitz, right? The, you know, this labor will set you free. Yes, I, I visited Auschwitz and I know over the gate that's what it says. And yet we have the slave pens here in the United States 
And I actually had this experience where they have people, holograms from the slave pen speak to you. It was just a, a remarkable experience. Also, I went to the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. That is the lynching memorial. And you can see state by state, the thousands of people on record who have been lynched in this country. On record, we know there are many, many thousands unknown you know, tragedies and, and, and brutal murders that have taken place that were lynchings that we don't have records for. These are the ones for which we have records. Um, I went to the Freedom Writers Museum. Remember, we did our special. We had um, our own Fannie Lou Hamer discussion and the other Freedom Writers discussion of Freedom Summer. So I went to the Freedom Writers Museum. We went to the museum for gynecology. Dr. Sims' statue was taken from here in upstate, I'm, I'm sorry, in um, um, the upper part of Manhattan. And But there was also a statue of his that was in Montgomery that was also taken down because he was from Alabama. And that's where he experimented on enslaved women of African descent without anesthesia. Some of these women were operated on dozens of times without anesthesia because it was thought that people of African descent didn't feel pain the way white people did. Yes, this is the man who had a statue here in New York City as well as in Montgomery. And there is now, after his statue was taken down on private land, a tribute to three of the Black women known based on record who had been operated on by him. And some of the very tools used in gynecology today, he invented based on experimenting on Black women's bodies. Yes, these are the things America has done. And I want us to think about this because something that came out of a conversation I had with former Senator Mark Meadows, and I asked him when he said he didn't want to talk about, you know, this sense of um, America's history, America's history when it comes to um, the torture, the abuse of people of color, especially Native Americans, African Americans, other people of color, Latinos, um, Asian Americans here in this country. He doesn't think that people today, white people today, should have to hear this. He's part of the anti-CRT um, generation, we'll say, that mindset that believes that that was then and this is now. And my question is, can't we learn from the past? If there is no responsibility taken for the generations who stand under your legacy, your ancestors standing under the bodies of hanging people, you can go online right now and see the images they proudly took standing under the lynching bodies, lynched bodies, standing next to the people who were burned alive. They took pictures, men, women, and children of European descent took pictures proudly standing there, cut off pieces of the body, ears, fingers. Yes, yes, be disgusted, but know that it happened in this country, not in Europe, not in Germany. We're talking about this country, and that's been the problem. When it happens in another country, we send drones to come in and we'll strike this, that. But right here, we cannot seem to grasp the depth of the depravity that took place in this country, which takes me now to this, to George Floyd two years ago, to the fact that we have to this day, to this moment in time, for this year, 631 people have died at the hands of police officers. This year, 2022, this year, 631 which keeps this year on track with every other year where there are over a thousand people who die at the hands of police. Now, let's now combine all I've just said with what we've learned about trust. 
prosecutors did not prosecute. And I know my prosecutor friends get annoyed with me because especially the black prosecutors, why are you so hard on prosecutors? You hired into a profession that's problematic. Don't look at me and say, oh, don't be this way against prosecutors. Don't you know we're the ones standing up for your rights? Yes, there's a sprinkling of prosecutors standing up for black and brown people's rights. But the majority of them still believe in they're the last defense of white supremacy. Oh, they're not going to say it that way. They're just going to see it in the faces of those people who actually have their rights protected in the faces of those people who become the defendants, in the faces of those people they force in the plea deals, in the faces of those people who get a trial or are told, if you make me go to trial, I'm going to throw the book at you. You better take this plea deal. In the faces of those people who have minor infractions that are turned into the props that they need to get that promotion, turned into the case that doesn't make them, guess the prosecutor's office has been part of the problem and can be part of the solution, but has failed to do so. Those Black prosecutors need to be standing up. They need to be speaking out. They need to be the ones who are part of a whistleblower campaign to tell what's going on within your offices. Yes, there are a sprinkling of Black and Brown prosecutors and it's a tough job, just like the sprinkling of black and brown police officers who know you've got the rogue crazies within your ranks of the white police officers who got into this profession to do good for the community. You know about the prejudice that's going on within the force. You know it. You're as afraid of these people as we are. And you're armed. You've got a gun and training. And you're afraid of those people on your same force. How do you think civilians feel? And I say all that because there are some after we had our Secret Service delete emails because they backed Trump and they then delete the emails. What's happening with that investigation? Whom can we trust? Some people say, well, I don't trust any of them. And that's why as a woman of color, too often, the people who are harming me are other people of color. And I'll be honest about that. That's true. Other people of color, men of color are harming me. So it's not always this white man. It is too often other people of color. So how do we as women navigate all of this? Well, I have Helen Higginbotham, who is going to be my guest and she's going to tell us about Black women with guns. Yes, it's come to that. Black women are going to the firing range in New Jersey, coming up, and they're learning how to use a weapon. She's going to be coming up next on Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall. And we're going to talk about Black women with guns. And this is all, of course, in the shadow of the case of New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, in which our rogue U.S. Supreme Court cohort of conservatives have decided we're going to allow the gate to be open for those who want to have a weapon, carry a weapon, even a concealed weapon. Why should we tell the government why we need this weapon? Why should we have to explain our motives? No, we're just going to have one. Well, if you're just going to have one, given the history of this country then Black women look like they need to have one, too. We'll be right back after this musical break with Helen Higginbotham. Right now, everyone from A to Z. Oh, oh, 
that with Shaka Khan, I'm every woman. Shaka Khan, I'm every woman. So, I'm every woman with Shaka Khan. Are we every woman? Are we every woman with a gun? Welcome, Helen Higginbotham. Good morning, Ms. How are you? Welcome back. Thank you so much. Yes, it's been a um, a road uh, from JFK to Paris. Yes, I was in Paris and then to Angola and then to come back to Montgomery, Alabama. But I missed you all dearly. And of course, you know, I miss you, my friend. So this is something that I saw from your nonprofit organization that you have and it's, it didn't have to be a nonprofit. It's an organization yeah, you have. Yeah. <laughs> not a nonprofit. When uh-huh. Black Women yeah. Gather. Yeah. And what I saw was you receive a one half day training on the fundamentals of firearms, shooting, gun safety, ammunition, and time at the range under the direction of NRA certified instructor Marvin Allen of Safe Training Academy. And this is going to be on August 27th. So I saw this and said immediately, we need to discuss. So first, how did this come about and what is your background when it comes to handling a weapon? I have never held a gun in my life. (laughs) Uh, This came about, um, first of all, we were trying, this was scheduled before. So when Black Women Gather is an organization of Black women, come together about issues are relevant to black women. Now and then we invite other people into our conversation. But for the most part, our conversations are black women and we're dealing with our stuff. So prior to the pandemic, I had put out this exact same program that I wanted us to, you know, a day at the range when black women shoot. That's what I called it. And um, the response was overwhelming. It was scheduled to be the Saturday before Mother's Day, which we thought was pretty poetic. And, um, you know, the pandemic happened, so we had to put it off. But then in the interim, there's always been these requests, Helen, when are we going to have the day of the range? And, you know, Marvin is a person that I went to high school with, who actually is a pharmacist by training, but um, (laughs) is now also a certified um, NRA instructor. Um, And, you know, I just kept reaching out to him, like, when can we do it? Because the women never lost interest in wanting to have the day at the range. And I'm sure that it's peaked by all that's happening. And, you know, from Buffalo to to just all of it. And I think, um, you know, people are just feeling that they need to be able to protect themselves. Like, we just never know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. And it's probably dangerous to be as ignorant about firearms as I am. Um, and I don't know if all the women are as ignorant to firearms as I am, but I'm hoping that there will be, you know, varying levels of, of um, familiarity, familiarity. So I'm looking forward to our day at the range. And so um, did you have people in your family who had guns? I mean, that's what's so interesting. I don't come from a gun-carrying family at all um, that I know of, but, you know, family reunions can get heated and we'll see who's packing. Um, I, I I just wonder, is it a generational thing? Because when, you know, Black folks were out in the middle of the hinterland, and, of course, you knew the sheriff wasn't going to protect you. As a matter of fact, the sheriff was in the Klan um, or would allow the Klan to attack. So we had to have our own means of protection. And so generationally, Black people have had firearms. And then the laws, as we know, changed with the Black Panthers when the Black Panthers in Oakland began to carry open carry. And that's what for people want to know, the law switched over when black people started to open carry arms based on the law allowing them to do so and then we've got heller case um that gave uh, washington dc the right to have um firearms um without having the um, restrictions that were un- in place before and then the mcdonald case in chicago opened and then the, the most recent has stated the new york state case then allowed concealed weapons so is there a history of of people carrying weapons in in your family or having weapons in the home well that's so interesting i i, I uh, so um and it made it i think it's my generation and this generation my grandfather was just known for keeping a rifle by the door. She lived on a, and we're from New Jersey. They were born in Georgia, but for the most part have always lived in New Jersey. 
And uh, my grandmother lived on a dark, secluded street with only her house and, and her son's house. That was it. And at some point, it was just her. And I was like, aren't you afraid to be back? From the time we were kids, she always about having a gun and shoot it um, whenever she needed it. I never saw her shoot it, but she had a rifle by the door. I love her sister, who I adored, um, my aunt, and who died at, like, 92. And Aunt Lillian lived in North Philly, and North Philly progressively got to be a, not the best place to live, and she just would never move. And I remember us talking to her one day, and we were concerned about her being there, and she said, uh, and she started calling us girlfriend, long was popular and she said girlfriend she said i pity the young man that tries to attack me and you know she said something about having us everyone should have a purse in her purse meaning that she had a purse in her purse which i didn't even know what that was but it's a pearl handle small gun of some sort i was like oh my god i was packed but so and i think i don't know is it just did we just get so comfortable that we stopped being concerned safety and now it's heightened is it too late for us to be heightened about our, our safety because other folks been armed forever so are we being game you know well i mean there was a there there's not a whole lot that i see based on my research history writing etc that mm-hmm. uh, we do as people of african descent and other people of color that is not in reaction to or because of racial prejudice mm-hmm. and discrimination And so, as was stated, when other people were able to access guns, I knew there were people, um, especially Black women, who had applied for gun permits in New Jersey and were denied those gun permits. And I'd asked them, these women, well, you know, let's be a part of a class action lawsuit. And they didn't want to do it. You know, so I think that getting a gun permit becomes a problem. What was the basis of the denial, Gloria? Well, that's that's what I'm. I, she wouldn't go into the details of it. She just said she had applied, and so another black woman had applied as well, with a white friend of theirs, and the white friend got the permit, and the black, two black women did not. So that's going to be the next step when you actually apply for the permits. And so right. please check back with us to let us know what's going to happen or what has happened as far as that path goes to get the permit to legally carry. Yeah. So that is going to be interesting. And I hadn't thought about that, but um, for that, you know, uh, Marvin will walk us through everything that we need to do so that we prepare our applications properly. I'm real, I'm real comfortable with the instruction that he's going to give us in class and I'm sure outside of class if we need it. Um, but that's interesting. And it's not shocking that they would try and reject black people because they don't want us. You know, there was when all that stuff was uh, every time they talk about getting the laws passed, um, 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 prohibiting that people can carry guns of any kind, you always hear somebody who makes a joke, but it's not really a joke. There's truth and humor that if you want gun um, laws passed, then, you know, allow black people to start signing up to get guns because quickly they will change the laws, which is what happened with Ronald Reagan and, uh, you know, Panther days in California. So let's, and, and I, and I support that. Um, let's, let's look at the fact of gun carrying in the first place. What, what I remember when I, um, was hired at Southern Poverty Law Center in Montgomery, Alabama, and Southern Poverty Law Center was also one of the museums, now turned museums, that is located there that has, I was told, perhaps $700 million in endowment. So make choices based on that as to um, where you want to give your money. But one thing that, that I remember being hired there, and they said, well, what kind of gun do you want? I, I know people who are prosecutors. And they'll say, you know, yes, I they give you a gun as a prosecutor to paint on the jurisdiction. And so I decided I did not want to take Southern Poverty Law Center's gun. And I'm glad I, I didn't take it because they um, might have seen me use it. <laughs> Some of the things that happened down there. <laughs> so, uh, but what I'm trying to understand is 
because you saw your aunt with a gun, it's, it's, you don't have that same sense that it's, it's not going to be a problem carrier, that it's going to be a responsible um, obligation of protecting yourself, yeah. a responsible sense that this is a tool and I'm going to use it as a tool. And I go back to that phrase that people have used, especially in RA, guns don't kill people, people kill people. But I say people with guns kill people. So how, how are you to know when you have that frame of mind of this is a tool of protection, like a knife, like a baseball bat, like anything else, I'm not going to abuse it. So, and that's that's the thing. I was listening to another um, program yesterday because there's a lot of talk about black women going to the range, and it's happening around the country. And I was listening to a program, and one of the things that they were stressing is that, yes, you know, go ahead and get the but do understand the repercussions that come with using a gun. And it's not just like, you know, this, um, what's this thing they have in Florida where they don't hold it? accountable you know that's not for us we've seen that what's the ball Gloria trying to think of um with the Trayvon Martin thing um oh anyway oh Sandra Brown yes yes thank you that's not gonna you know we've seen that that does not work in the same way for us so we need to also in terms be mindful of you know carrying a gun is one thing but also be educated on the fact that the justice system as you were just talking about it's not going to support us like it's going to support other people. Um, and, you know, to use a gun should always be a last resort. And I'll be honest with you, for myself, I never, you know, even a physical person in terms of fighting or whatever. I don't know what I would do if I'm put in a position to defend myself. Um, but I will have this in my arsenal, you know, of things that I can think of. And, you know, so I can't see me walking the streets with a gun. I can see me having a gun in my home in the event somebody um, tried to violate me here. But I don't, I don't know. I, you know, and one never knows what you will do until you're in a situation. But the thing is, if you're in a situation, be prepared and know what to do in the situation. And that's why I advocate women are taking these classes. Like, don't be completely in the dark. Don't let it be your go-to. They're talking about arming school teachers and all. That's ridiculous. I think, you know, sometimes guns um, escalate situations that would not have been escalated. But you, especially, you know, and I'm being uh, gender biased here, but a man and their testosterone, they, you know, they just had a fight. Now they're just going to go grab and shoot somebody. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that's the, the answer. I'm just be prepared. Educate yourself. Be familiar. Be um Protecting yourself, know how to protect yourself at all costs. Because guess what? Whoever's breaking into your house, harm you, they're not worried about your safety. You need to be worried about your safety. And this country is crazy. This country has been obsessed with guns at the beginning of time. So I guess for us to have lived here this long and not also familiarize ourselves as well, you know, to our detriment. Because I remember um, years ago, the officer police officer in a small town in Jersey where near where I grew up. And um, this guy had an arsenal of weapons buried in the backyard. It could, you know, a military. And it was, I'm sure it was his wife or somebody who turned him in. But that's not shocking. I don't think he's, you know, how, how, um, how much of an exception is he? I don't know. So I think people have been armed. You know, people love guns. Guns are as American as apple pie. So, you know, it's to our detriment. So I'm saying to everybody, like, use your own judgment. Um, but I think it's a good thing to know. So um, the response this time is the same as the response the last time. Women are very much interested in it. And, um, you know, we're doing it in New Jersey this time, like Jersey, Philadelphia area. Some women are coming down from North Jersey to do it. You know, if there are women in other parts of the country who also want to do it, I suppose if there's enough people in those areas that we can also coordinate something there too. So, yeah. And and you you have a law background. You teach um, mm-hmm. 
criminal justice and law classes, um, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, Inc. versus Bruin. The holding of that case is New York's proper cause requirement violates the 14th Amendment by preventing law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from exercising their Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms in public for self-defense, end quote. That is the actual holding from the June 23rd, 2022 case decided by the majority conservatives in the 6-3 holding that struck down New York State's law that stated that people had to give a reason why they needed to carry a weapon a concealed weapon outside of their home. As I said before, we had the District of Columbia versus Heller case. We had the McDonald versus Chicago case. And now we have this New York State Rifle and Pistol Association case. So when you talked about not taking the weapon outside, other people are saying, well, then um, should we take our weapon to Starbucks? What if if there's something that happens and there's a, a shooter situation, if your weapon's at home, it's not going to do you any good. You need to have it in the glove compartment. I know people who are prosecutors or former prosecutors, corrections officers, former police officers who still carry weapons because they believe at some point there might be somebody they knew from back in the day who may try to harm them. Do you think there should be any limits on on the ability to protect oneself with a weapon, a gun. Yeah, um, that is, to me, that's such a situational, um, you know, every situation is different. And I would say you, the, totali- to, the totali- totality of the circumstances. Um, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know. I can't even say that I can answer that. When you were talking, I was thinking of my cousin passed away but you know he was a state trooper and even after he retired it was just habits he always you know they just have guns so they're just used to it it becomes a part of what they do um but you know regular citizens i don't know i'm i'm nervous about that because i think people are knee-jerk but you know i i don't know i think people are knee-jerk um reactions and that makes it very um that makes it a dangerous situation that could go. I just think, you know, minor situations can just erupt so quickly because there's a gun involved. Um, but, you know, stuff happens. Just like you got that camera on your hip, you know, now people are going to have guns on their hip. But I'm sure you've seen in these Yahoo towns where they've got, you know, open carry and, you know, people literally walking around with, like, Uzis or whatever on their, you know, or several guns around their hips or whatever. That's ridiculous. But, you know, how do you control that? And it's meant to intimidate people. That's what it's meant to do. Um, and, you know, it's also meant to give some people, um, uh, 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 you know, to make them more brazen than they ever would be, you know. Um, so I don't, I don't know, Gloria. I can't. Um, I, it would be hard for me. But, you know, this whole thing about the Second Amendment, that's, I think it's, it, it's, it's, it's a deflection from, from the real issue because, you know, there's no need for people to be walking around with, you know, um, what is it, the AK-15s or the AR-47s or whatever, like these automatic gun weapons. Like or, or semi-automatic guns. Somebody semi-automatic. corrected me and it's like, oh, it's not an automatic. It was made into almost being an automatic, but it was a semi-automatic. I mean, people want to take these technical limits to weapons that are tearing bodies apart and the oh. speed with which they can kill. This was not meant to, to hunt animals. You can't eat the, the rabbit after destroying the body with these semi-automatic weapons. And you mentioned the Second Amendment, and let's be clear, the Second Amendment states, quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, end quote. You know, and, and what's so interesting, this sentence doesn't even really make sense grammatically or thought-wise. It's, it's, it looks like an amalgam of a committee came together and put these ideas into one sentence. So it's really unclear as to how these different thoughts from each phrase within the Second Amendment really works with the other part, given that 
the time period in the 1600s and 1700s, there were militias necessary because we didn't have a uniform police department until the 1860s and 70s. And then they were formed based on the bounty hunters of, of enforcing slavery and the militia that were created to um, attack Native Americans. We didn't have a military because the cavalry was created once again to, to attack and control Native Americans. Americans, and that is the foundation for our military today. So when we think about who had the guns and the militia and other military formed to protect, it was to protect white people from people of color. That's where our police department comes from. And people can say, oh, yes, it came from England and the Bobbies. Yes, but the Bobbies got it from the Caribbean where they were using it to enforce and attack Africans who rose up from the plantations there on the Caribbean islands. So this whole idea is race-based in the use of weaponry in the first place under government control. So the Second Amendment is based on you know, um, maintaining social order, race-based social order. And so that's never been fully analyzed to the point where the government has said, yes, that was then, this is now, let's change it. Where's the reform? Where is the reclamation of a sense of why we need to have a gun in the first place? The tacit, and you said it before, underlining fear is a fear of a Black planet. Well, and here's what's interesting is talk about the cops. A few things came to mind. Um, I recently was in Mexico, and I was on a cruise, a little, you know, day cruise, day cruise ship kind of things. And there were these young men, you know, and they just were not dealing. They were just a little circle. And then at some point I started talking with them, and they were embarrassed to tell, not embarrassed, they were reluctant that they were police officers. In, but when they did, they made it clear that they were from Germany, and they apologized that, they, that we're not like cops in America. And that's why they didn't want to tell me as a black person that they were cops, because they just knew that I, they assumed that I would have a negative image of them. Because they went on to explain how we're nothing like the cops in the United States, how they have to have education. You know, just not anybody can be a cop. Um, they don't carry guns. Their communities don't fear them. Just this whole, we had a great conversation. And then as you were talking too, I thought about how the cops and their guns and how they're out of control. And, you know, full of black people, specifically black men. And I went to, while you were away, I don't know if, I'm sure you heard about Jalen Walker, who the cops shot at 90 times. They landed 60, um, 60 bullets landed on, and, you know, him, um, you know, he was running away from them. They shot him 60 times. Um, and his mother, in the spirit of Emmett Till, had an open casket for his funeral because people need to see the impact of what happens to, um, you know, the you know, people aren't jumping up like in these video games. This, this is real. And these cops literally shot this young man who had no history of any um, trouble before, what have you. And it's like, what, what, if you're trained, if you're trained, why does it take 60 shots to shoot one person? And how is it that you don't shoot like the guy who, who shot up the Buffalo supermarket? He could have walked away from this at a hair commercial because not a, not a place, um, you know, nothing happens to him and he just murdered how many people? So, uh, we got issues in this country and, you know, well, everybody they, I, I truly believe they know who to shoot and who to kill. And once again, until prosecutors prosecute, this is going to continue to happen. I really, I I mean, there is is criminal action taking place all around us. But that's the role of the prosecutor. The prosecutor is the person who's supposed to represent the victim and then have the defendant have a day in court to explain their actions. And until we have prosecutors prosecute 
and charge police officers so these police officers can actually explain why they fear for their life. Because until they explain why they fear for their life, until we as the civilian public actually can hear the explanation as to what it is this person did, then there's no trust of these officers, there's no trust of the prosecutors. And up to this point, it's almost as though the prosecutors and the officers are thumbing their nose at civilians. Like, we don't care. We noticed that, and I'm going to say going back to another um, circular part of this, is that as soon as there was even the slightest push to reform the criminal justice system, all of a sudden, coincidentally, we had these Black neighborhoods flooded with guns. Mm -hmm. Flooded with guns. We have ghost guns that these kids, teenagers, are then getting kits in the mail to create ghost guns. Who is manufacturing the kits? We just had the the, um, hearings um, where we had the leaders of these gun manufacturing companies say that they have no responsibility for what happens with their product once it leaves the factory. But I, I I look at the flood of guns into our urban communities the same way I look at the flood of drugs that went into our urban communities. And I don't think it's a coincidence. I really don't. I don't. That, that happened on the heels of, you know, the, the uprisings around George Floyd. So in our in our moments in to, together right now, and of course, you'll have to come back, Helen. In our moments together right now, I want us to talk a little bit more about the program that you have and a little bit more about when Black women gather. Okay, I, but I also want to circle back. You just mentioned prosecutors um, doing their job. And I just want to say that the prosecutors who are stepping up to the plate to prosecute in a way that prosecution should happen are uh, largely black females, um, and they are you know, going to be under attack. We saw in Maryland last week where Marilyn Mosby was defeated, and that was you know, orchestrated, no accident. Um, Kim Fox in Chicago she, uh, her assistant prosecutor uh, yesterday resigned. She just no longer could work on her. It's like, come on. And then I'm sure our sister in county who is handling that whole Georgia um, fiasco like nobody else is, she too, you know, they just said last week that one of the people that she wanted to um, um, interview or, or I think she wanted to have him um, indicted or whatever She can't touch him. So I think, you know, when we do have prosecutors who are willing to stand up, you know, defense law as it should be, fairly, equally, and, you know, blind and, you know, um, irrespective of who the um, victim or the defendant is, like just, you know, defense justice, those uh, prosecutors are under attack, and we have to keep supporting them. So, yeah, I, I firmly but, um, agree with that. I firmly agree with that. And yes, I will. I will say those prosecutors who are trying and so many people and I've said this on other shows. So many people say, well, you know, all they have to do is 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 uh, not vote for the D.A. No, the prosecutors who are in the system are career prosecutors with government jobs and pensions. It's only the person at the top who's running for office. And so. What the problem is that we need a whistleblower office within like internal affairs in the police department. We need an internal affairs in the prosecutor's offices. And I, and, and I do want to us to figure out ways to support those prosecutors who are trying to do a good job and not fall for the okie doke. I'm not looking for anybody who's perfect. What I, because no one is perfect you know, in whatever job they're doing, no, no human being is perfect. What I know is the prosecutors historically and the prosecutors presently can do a much better job in being fair and prosecuting um, um, that's not race-based and knowingly intentionally race-based. But I, the last part about it is we're going to have to have those prosecutors who are trying to do well speak up and tell us how we can help them and stop trying to be lone rangers. How can we assist you? And that might even mean um, we have to look at Alvin Bragg. 
you know, and, and, and I'm looking forward to having him on the show to, to explain to us what he is trying to do and what his agenda is, because um, he was on the show initially when he was running. We'd like to have him back on. Hint, hint. So I will reach out to him and try to get him to explain. For, yeah, for prosecute, yeah, for prosecutors who are doing a good job, as you pointed out, how can we help you? How can we um, support you in these efforts? You're right. So listen, our, in our last moments together, please tell us more about the program. If you're a prosecutor and you're um, um, judging your success by your victories, then you're not interested in justice. You're interested in your next job, and I'll leave it at that. But anyway, um, black. So we have we have three minutes. Okay, when Black Women Gather is like I said, it's an organization, um, and we we right now the big thing that we're doing is hosting conversations online about all kinds of topics, all kinds of guests. Um, you know, people can find me on Facebook. Um, well, Black Women Only, sorry to everybody else, but Black Women Only can join us on Facebook, um, and the page is called When Black, the group is called When Black Women Gather. Um, you can find me on, you can send me an email at wbwg at hotmail.com, and I have a website, and you can go there and register, and then I can get back in touch with you, and that is whenblackwomengather.org. And our event for this year, is August 27th. If you're interested, please reach out to me and I will send you the information um, and um, look forward to doing this and many other events. And you were talking about the whole Montgomery thing. We took a whole group of women down to Selma right before the pandemic. We did Montgomery, Selma, and Birmingham. It was a fantastic weekend. We did everything that you just talked about and that in itself is a whole other conversation. And kudos to Brian Stevenson and can we please have more black lawyers like him who are committed to, to justice. So, yeah. And so your program is on August 27th, August, August 27th. 27th. And so at, at from 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., and it is a program where there will be a classroom course, box lunch, yeah. use of a firearm, right. eye and ear protection, targets, ammunition, only if you're using pistol provided by safe training and safe S-A-F-E training. I am not condoning the use of firearms. I do not own a firearm at this time. I can have access to one if I wanted one. So don't get twisted. Anybody we'll out there who's the listening? Class. We'll get yeah. to the next class. But this okay. class is in Penn. This class is in Penn um, at Thornton Security, um, and then we'll be going to the range in Philadelphia. And the instructor, as I said earlier, is Mark Allen, and his organization is SAFE Academy, and that's in Bordentown, New Jersey. So um, you know, we're looking to see as many women as possible at the range and thank you thank you so much for this opportunity to um talk about what we're doing i appreciate you uh Gloria. yes and there is a cost to it we're not going to say what it is here um because that's not what we do on wbai but there is a cost to it um it's not free nor should it be um and once again when black women gather and that and one more time give the email address that people need to contact to be a part of this wbwg at hotmail.com and you can find me on um, Facebook at um, when, when, when Black Women Gather. Okay, that's WB as in Black, WG as yeah. in Gather at hotmail.com. Thank you so much, Helen, professor, oh. attorney, um, EEOC investigator. You do so much for I our community. <laughs> You do so much for our community, I and I look forward to having you on again. Thank you for the All power right. that you have given to women. All righty. Thank you for being who you are. I appreciate it. Talk with you again real soon. Great. This is Law of the Land with Gloria J. Brown Marshall, and um, we have been trying to bring you diverse points of view. You know that that's what I do on this program, diverse meaning, maybe you didn't really look at it that way. Um, you probably never would have thought that um, WBAI would have a program on about Black women with guns. Um, this is something that I thought you needed to know about. 
I, there are a lot of things that come across my desk that I see that I feel are important for you. And that's why I will go out of my way to bring the person to you, to bring the story to you, to analyze what's going on. And even, as I said before, um, connect the dots between what happened in Angola, Africa, that led to the 20 and odd Africans in Virginia and the laws that came out of that in 1669 that allowed Europeans to kill an African without any felony charges brought against them. That was 1669, the 1600s. That's how long the killings have been going on with impunity to today with 631 people dying at the hands of police this year alone. And then connecting that with the fact that there are people, Black women, who are unable to trust the police department to make sure that they will be protected, that they are now getting weapons of their own and getting training for those weapons. And we're going to see if they're going to get the gun permits that are required for them to actually have those weapons with the U.S. Supreme Court saying that one can now have a concealed weapon without having to give any cause for it. That was a New York state case. You see how all those things are connected and that's why this this show, Law of the Land, I think is important enough for you to support. And I would like very much for you to support it. So if you can, please um, be a part of our support, financial support. Become a BAI buddy. Call 212-209-2950 and become a BAI buddy and say, you're going to support Law of the Land because they bring me things I really don't hear anywhere else. And I want to make sure they stay on the air. I want to make sure they pay that light bill, pay that electric bill so that we can keep this show going. I thank you so much for your time. And of course, as you know, if I can... I will see you on the radio.